Hello there and welcome to another episode of Ruben's podcast, a show in which I talk to people about their life over the last decade and the lessons they've learned along the way. On today's show I'm speaking with Somya Shankar. I met Somya back in 2010 and she's one of the few people I know who continues to pursue her passion for math. In fact, she compares it to art. In our conversation, she tells me more about her journey through PhD and the challenges she's faced, life in the US, and shifts in beliefs she's had over the last decade. But before we get into the conversation, a quick message. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to reconnect with all of these people, you can now do that on this tool I'm building called Rolodex AI. It's a tool to help you stay connected with people you don't meet that often. There's a Saint Stephen's 13 community up and running, and you can find more details by going to rolodexai.com. Okay, let's get into the conversation. Okay, we are live. Somya, thanks a ton for taking time to do this. No, thank you for setting everything up and thank you for doing this whole series because it's been great to catch up with well, catch up with my friends <laughs> in yeah. Ancoats. Yeah, I I think I think this is probably the the the, the best catching up people will get as long as uh, we we live in this kind of a world, but uh, yeah, if you're listening to the podcast, it doesn't get better than this guys. <laughs> but uh, tell me where in the world are you Somya these days? So I am currently in San Diego, California. Um and I work as a postdoctoral researcher in um Ohio State University, um which is well, it's not in California, but it yeah, so my all of my work is remote, so I just like live somewhere and work somewhere else. Got it. And and what what do you mean like what do you do as a postdoctoral researcher? Um so Postdocs are like the next step after a PhD uh in the academic pipeline. Um so postdocs are like temporary jobs that you have which involve some amount of research and some amount of teaching. Um and mm. yeah, so they they're like a time when you like build up your portfolio um in terms of both research and perhaps also teaching and then decide what kind of like So it's basically a bunch of bunch of like temporary jobs before you finally get a permanent tenured position. Yeah, or tenure track Got position. It. Got yeah. It. Got it. So so you said you you do this for a for a temporary amount of time and then either you become a full-time teacher and if not for that what, what, like do you become a full-time researcher? I mean, so generally Uh, after a postdoc is when you like start going on track for a full-time job um and mm. that full-time job can involve so generally it involves like some proportion of teaching and some proportion of research um and oh. the, that that ratio just depends on you where you are what you want etc and 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 you mentioned you just started like you're just like you finished your PhD in 2020 so this has been like You've just started this journey of of being a postdoc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just started my postdoc. Yeah. So so you moved to the US um almost five years ago, and before that, you uh, you spent some time in 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 IIT Delhi. Um, why don't we quickly walk through what you've been up to since since we last met in in 2013? Yeah, I know it's been so long, right? So like, okay, so after 2013, I stayed in Delhi for two more years. Uh I was in IIT and so I did my masters over there. Um and 
Then after that, I did my PhD, which was in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, in the US. And that's basically about it. Once you enter the academic pipeline, it's like very like, you, I, I don't know how to describe it. There's like one path. No, that's not true. Okay, I, I like advertise to people that that's not true. But um, uh, yeah, so, so um, yeah, so that's basically what I've been doing. And five years is a long time. So that's like most of the last seven years. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, uh, that's so what, what do you advertise to people? So, you, you said you advertise something to people. What, 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 what is that? So like, there's this whole culture of, um, you know, the, the more and more as like the whole question of like, um, of bringing in more diversity into STEM fields and more diversity into a higher education and all of these kind of questions are more, as more of this is like coming to the fore, um, we're trying to like, there's this whole culture that is entrenched, which is like, oh, like, if you want to do math, maybe you were a child genius, or maybe you like did all of the Olympiads when you were a kid, and then, then like, from there it was like a straight path through PhD, and then you wrote a hundred papers or whatever. Um, and so that's a myth, and we're trying to like dispense off that myth. And so the idea is that there's many ways to do a PhD and many ways to get to a PhD. Um, and so <laughs> I should not say that there's like a pipeline. There's like, it's a labyrinth of things and you can take whatever path you want. Interesting. Yeah. What's, what's the most unconventional way of getting a PhD? I mean, I, I think I've seen like a lot of stories. Like there are people who, so I have a friend who came back to do her PhD after her daughter was married even. So, um, so she was, she did math in in college and then after like most of her life was done she was like oh i want to do a phd and she's doing a phd and she did a phd and now she has like a postdoc actually yeah maybe she's yeah i think she's a postdoc right now and i've seen people who have like transferred from music to math um or like um there's a person who i know who transferred from uh, literature, maybe literature or like poetry or something like that to math. Um, and yeah, it works. You can, you can do all of it wow. if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> and then there are people who transfer and out of math. So like after doing math, mm. you can do something else. But, but these guys who transferred from say literature and music into math, like how, at what point did they realize or, or what were, like, how do you just transfer literature or, or Music, like music to math, I can make some sense because, you know, whatever, music has a lot of math in it, but like, what, like, you know, these guys, like, what were they thinking? Okay, so I don't, I don't know what they were thinking, but one thing I do know is that the American system offers a lot more flexibility. So I think with India mm. or even in Europe, like you like start with your bachelor's and then do, and at your bachelor's, you like pick your subject and then like you do the master's, et cetera, et cetera. And then by the time you get to your PhD, you already have a sufficient amount of background and then you build on that. But in the US, you have mm. like the option to build on the background while you're doing your PhD. And generally, these people have taken mm. some math classes, not like nothing. Um, because again, like they have this whole general education system where they have to like take classes from everything. So that's super interesting that, that you, can, you can just 
you know, start your PhD. And, and I really like this stuff wherein you can build on the background alongside, um, alongside doing a PhD because, and you know, I, I, I've just started reading this book called, um, oh, well, I'm almost finished it called beginning of time by Stephen Hawking. And that, that, like he talks about like time and black holes. And I've always been like intrigued about how is all of this connected? Like, you know, why is a black hole happening, have to anything to do with time? And how does it have to do with like this, you know, math stuff? And, and that book was like, I would strongly recommend, um, like for people who are interested in that to read it. But, you know, till I think class 10, I used to love physics, right? Um, and then, yeah, like most people in my class, you know, I wasn't the guy topping the Olympiads. I wasn't the guy, you know, getting great marks at the, the, these competitive exams. So I'm like, you know, probably this is not for me. And, you know, I, in, in class 10, I, I took down the path of, of going down commerce. And, you know, that's how I discovered economics. And I've loved that ever since. But, but yeah, like, like, when I was reading this book, I'm like, you know what, if circumstances might have been different, I might have been studying physics. And just like, this is such intriguing stuff. Um, but, uh, but no, I really like the fact that you said that, you know, people can build on, on Bayes um, even while doing their PhD. So, yeah, maybe I can think of at some point, maybe brushing up some physics skills and, and, and getting a PhD in quantum yeah. theory, whatever that <laughs> even means. I sound like such a, such a, such a noob for all the other PhDs listening to it. But, um, but anyway, um, so tell me about your PhD. What, what, what did you, what was your PhD on? And, and you have to really like try how to explain this to me, but I really want to know what you did your PhD in. Okay. So I did something called number theory. Um, so the, the simplest way of stating what I did is I counted things. So, um, a lot of, yeah, so, I mean, so as you probably know, or have like at least heard from your math friends is that there's like a lot of different areas of math, right? And number theory is one of the areas that has to do with, among a lot of other things, counting. Um, so counting is like one of the components. And so um, generally these like objects that you count have some sort of interesting mathematical property. And in, in some ways it's hard to count them. So an example would be like if you wanted to count the number of solutions to a particular equation. Right? So let's say you have a bunch of equations. Um, they may or may not come from a real life system. Some people work on things that can do come from real life systems and some people don't. And then you want to know how many solutions are there. Um, are there infinitely many? Are there finite? Are there uh, just finitely many? If they're infinite, how infinite are they? Right. So there's like different notions of that, and so I do something like that. And and where would you use this? Like, this <laughs> That's this a question everybody what? asks me, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, this is just, it's like the hardest question because so I, I do pure math. So it's just like, I've always thought of like my interest in math is like being somewhat related to my interest in art. Um, so mm. uh, I think of it as, a, as art. So I like do it for its own sake um, mm -hmm. because I enjoy it and because it's, it, to me, it's nice. Um, yeah. Generally, some of these things do find applications in cryptography and will help solve the cyber security problem. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's basically what we tell people, that it's going to be have some uh, application to cryptography 200 years from now. But I don't know. I don't know if anybody does it for that reason. Um, yeah. A lot of like old mathematics has found application in more recent times. So... Um, 
there is a hope, but we don't rely on it. No, that's interesting. And and the fact that you you mentioned cryptography, I think, is fascinating because of course you know like if for people listening to to this and it'll probably you know you're probably listening to this somewhere in the early part of 2020 2021 oh man 2021 um like all of like the the cryptocurrency world is buzzing right um and what's interesting about about that is 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 probably not the similar space but what it implies is is very very deep yeah just like like what bitcoin and and what any of these any of these coins even mean and, and i'm sure the 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 actual coin and the actual bitcoin is probably maybe not that far away from what your what what your what your what your where the application this could be but it has deep deep implications um of where the world could look like in 10 years i mean i agree but i cannot for the life of me tell you how my research would be applicable to it um but like vaguely number theorists do also work on that that end of the spectrum but but you mentioned that a lot of the use cases are in imaginary systems where this thing that this ah. might apply well i don't mean imaginary per se i mean in the sense that um so there's some things that are like direct that come directly from modeling real life systems but there are some mm-hmm. things that we sort of like make up as we go give me I an mean, example of or something like that Okay so so here is one example. So there's this uh theorem called Fermat's last theorem. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um so you know how the Pythagorean theorem says that x squared plus y squared is um z squared. Um yeah. if if you have a right angle triangle. Um and so that has infinitely many solutions. And then you can ask okay what if I change the squares to some other powers? and make it x to the n plus mm-hmm. y to the n equals z to the n and ask if there are any non trivial solutions to it like you can do like you can do silly things like 1 0 1 right and um just yeah. or like put all zeros if you want but i mean what about like non trivial yeah. solutions in order to solve that problem so that problem took over 400 years to solve um and but in order to do that people came up with amazing theories one example is a theory of um elliptic curves So elliptic curves are very commonly used in cryptography. Um but like independent of the fact that they're used in cryptography like just the theory of elliptic curves and from there like generalizations of that etc has like taken off as its own theory. And in a sense math is about like exploring how far you can go with something. Um and then mm-hmm. whether or not it has an application for at least pure mathematicians it's somewhat secondary uh it's like mm. oh it's it, okay so maybe i have this curve or some thing with nice properties how far can i push this how far does mm. the human brain allow us to go um is something that i think is a motivating factor <laughs> I can't speak for all mathematicians that's but I it, like that's one of the things yeah as you do this um how much is enough like when do you be like you know that's it uh, because it's when like, you work a job or you're trying to building a company you know it's very easy to keep score mm-hmm. but how do you do this in in which will put tutorial do I mean I think the the nicest analogy for me is art right like when do you stop making art when do you stop like So for me it is dance. So when do you stop dancing? Like when do you stop choreographing or when do you stop like for people who are painters or musicians, when do you stop innovating on uh, things like that, right? Like those things um 
there, there's no end to it. You push yourself as far as you can go. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> this is so, so so amazing to hear. Anyway, um, moving on to, to to something I I I was curious about, and and as with anything anybody does on this planet, right? Uh, you run into challenges. Um, I'd be very curious to know what kind of challenges you ran into through this PhD experience, because I've heard you know from some friends that you know it's it's a very lonely experience, right? You it's you and yourself, um, and maybe your professor. You check in with your professor maybe you know once a week, at best. Um, you go to university, you have a small office. Talk to me about the challenges that that you faced, um, and it would be awesome if you could break it down into the challenges maybe you faced when you just started the PhD. when you were roughly halfway through and you know as you were nearing the end because i'm sure they might have been different yeah yeah no definitely um so one so i should say that like the whole problem of loneliness is something that i was very lucky to not face um i mean obviously like a lot of your challenges are your own and like um especially with when it comes to your research right that is your own and there's not not much other people can do about it but Uh I was in a department that was very friendly and I had a very good community um which I was very lucky um to to get um and um so yeah in terms of more specific challenges so like the first year I I remember like so of course the first part was also like adjusting to the US and like trying to figure out whether the US was the right place for me like when i came here like it was i mean american culture has been exported sufficiently that it's not an entire culture shock but still there is some level of culture shock um like i and i landed in madison which is like so uw madison uh, so the university of wisconsin madison is famous for having parties and for drinking and for beer and i landed there and like the first party i go to there are people who have like uh 40 ounces of beer taped to each hand and trying to drink them and i was like what is happening i don't know where i am <laughs> i don't know if i should be here um and i mean obviously they're like very nice people right there's no like dichotomy there but it, but it was just a culture shock for me and so it, t- it took a while to adjust to that it also took a while to adjust to american work culture i think Americans work a lot like and they they like working a lot is normalized here and while I was in IIT I could just like not work most of the time and do other things and um and just just get by and then you realize that you really come here and you can't do that you can't get away with not working hard Yeah, I don't know if I put too many negatives in that sentence, but whatever. Yeah, so <laughs> um yeah, so you can't get away w- w- with like no hard work and so you have to work. So that took me a while. But yeah, so I mean there are a lot of things. So like m- my mental health like took a no like it would take a nose dive every time like stress went up total like the total amount of stress went up. Um and so but I mean I learned to cope with it. I like I think that was one of the things that that like my PhD taught me is to like try to cope with different kinds of things. Not that I don't face those problems still, but I think I've learned to cope with it better. I've learned to understand those better. The other thing I think that runs really deep with PhD is that so actually two things. So this which are sort of related to each other. So one is imposter syndrome. 
where you feel like you're you don't belong because you're not, not smart and not as smart as the people around you and like before this i never had that problem <laughs> like yeah but before starting my phd i never thought for once that i wasn't capable of doing math um but that was like very new to me that i was like not good enough um so that happened and again that has its ups, ups and downs it's, it it's like i think what i've heard is that it never goes away so i've started to learn to live with it <laughs> so um that was something yeah, yeah and like comparing yourself to yourself to others so that that's that's something that happens constantly and i i assume that happens like in other jobs too right like because you are constantly being yep. judged against everybody else so as you were you know as you were reaching uh, you know halfway or towards the end of your phd were there times you were like ah oh, you know what i'm just going to give up yeah so the thing is my phd like my last semester of my phd was during the pandemic and like when my thesis material like the stuff for my thesis um was almost done like and like ready to be put into like to be put into writing properly and everything and that was when like the pandemic started and i was like what am i doing with my life i'm completely useless and like i'm not but in terms of useless i mean like i wasn't doing anything to help the world that was like crashing and burning around me and i was just like i don't think i should be doing this <laughs> i don't know what to do and but i was like no like the last few months i've i've made it this far and once the last few months are done we'll be okay <laughs> and then then we can decide whether we want to stay, stay stay in math or yeah. not but yeah so like that was a yeah so so I, i think the pandemic really changed my outlook towards things so so we'll probably double click on the pandemic uh, in a bit but um, i i wanted to talk to you more about the us uh, you mentioned that that was one of the big shocks um, and challenges when you just landed up talk to me about how life has been in the us um, over the last 5 years It's been interesting. I I mean so first of all life in the US is fairly comfortable compared to life in India. Um the place that I went to Madison is very safe. Like it's it's a really safe city. So like the first thing that you notice is that so going from Delhi where you have well Stephen's had a curfew at 10. Um I didn't have a curfew but like everyone was still like go home by midnight don't don't stay yeah. hang around. Here I could walk home at 2 a.m. in the morning and everything was fine. And it, that was like a huge um huge huge thing for me. Like it was it was very liberating. But yeah, so I like I mean I don't know how to say it. I just I think there's like both pros and cons to living here. Like the pros are like comfort, safety and like the usual things. But I mean, I like i really miss chowri bazaar like i really <laughs> miss kebabs in delhi and like i don't know it it's hard to say i think i remember so earlier i used to be obsessed with this idea of having a soul i think i've 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 like toned that down a bit cities in america like it's very hard to find cities that have a soul I don't I'm not saying that all of the cities in the US don't have a soul but it's I think it's like there's something in it that like binds it together that like I don't 
don't know how to say it like um so so going back to to your life in the US uh, the last you know two years have been quite uh, a show at least on television on what's been happening with the elections and you know the entire uh, black lives matter uh, movement talk to me about you know did you feel anything when you were on the ground and you know does this you know like how how do you see all of this you know spending time uh, there when all of this was happening yeah so i mean so first of all trump happened right like that happened like the year i came to the us i was like running away from um from modi and then i landed in trumpland uh <laughs> okay yeah. um but, but yeah. over the five years did you did you actually feel some like did you feel his presence like on ground in your day to day life like the fact that trump was president um so that's a good question so i think one of one of the ways that i felt it personally was that um was like the whole immigration thing we were constantly on our toes wondering if like so i i think among like the people of color in 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 the us indians are better off than others um like we are l- less persecuted than um latinos and um black people of course um mm-hmm. but like that you're always afraid that an ice agent is going to catch catch you at the border like whenever you like i remember 2 years ago taking a vacation to florida which is close to one of the um uh one of the sites where people were imprisoned in in cages and um well i mean i wasn't afraid that i was going to be imprisoned i was like constantly on edge i was like i do i always have my passport can i always prove that i'm here legally um so that was one thing yeah. um yeah and like it, it's just like you're always on edge and always fearful yeah and i i've talked to shupurna i don't you know shupurna right yeah, yeah yeah so she is also in the us and i talked to her about this and we have we both like shared experiences where we like walk in and we're the only person of color in the room it's just like so weird we're like trying to make eye contact with other people of color or <laughs> in the thing where you can group together as like equated with a lot of other people it, it's weird because you don't yeah. face the same kind of problems but you develop a camaraderie because it's it's just it's mm. just a strange dynamic it's weird did you feel a lot of this when you were doing your phd because i would imagine in a university like setting it's it's not that you know yeah, blatant so but probably you know day to day life is like when you go down to maybe i don't know trader joe's and you're like oh i'm the and like madison ohio is probably you know one of the i think it's one of the inner states right it's pro- it's a red state if i'm madison not yeah so i was in wisconsin but yeah um he it was okay, it's okay. it's well i think this time it went to joe biden but um traditionally like oh, so yeah. it, it it's been it's flipped a bunch of times but rural ma- rural wisconsin is very very um republican and but madison per se mm-hmm. is it is it's like a liberal bubble um in in like a Got sea it. of red and so in madison i've rarely had any issues not to say that there aren't issues in madison but personally yeah and how long do you see yourself um staying in the us now would you say you've adjusted to the us now um i I don't know. Like I think it uh, for me like adjustment is not necessarily a good thing. It's just like 
I there are so mm. many other places that I want to go to and like live before I like settle down, quote unquote. I, and the other thing is that whenever I have to do visa paperwork, I always yell about the U.S. I'm always like, oh my god, this country makes it so hard to <laughs> be here. Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And and what's what's the place right on top of the list where where you'd want to, you know, go next? Oh, go next. So I mean, that's really hard to say. Mostly because if I'm still going to um, be in math, like math jobs are very hard to predict. It all depends on like where people who are interested in your research are located, and so it could be the middle of nowhere Canada or it could be like I don't know well I guess Canada's not that middle of nowhere but still um, I mean it could be anywhere but most places um, like most of the research in my area and like people I know are based either in the US or in Europe talk to me about dancing are you are you still dancing or has that taken a pause oh yeah a long pause um, it, it's the amount I dance has like gone down um, steadily since I started uh, my PhD. It's a combination of like not having time and like not having the space and also not having a community um, in the same way. Uh, when I started, yeah, so in the early years I like, I, I started learning a lot of like ballroom dancing and stuff like that because like I didn't get a community for Kathak but I could find a community for that very easily. That took a hit when I got busier, um, and yeah, so I don't dance as much. I want to pick it back up. I, w I want yeah. to, like, every time I move now, I try to move to places which have, like, a hardwood floor or um, are yeah. on the ground floor so I'm not <laughs> disturbing other people around me. <laughs> um, so I try to do that, and then, I don't know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So, so maybe shifting gears a little bit, um, I'm sure a lot has changed for Soumya over the last, you know, seven, ten, seven, ten years, right? Yeah. One, of course, being your accent, which is <laughs> crazy. <laughs> and I can't believe I'm talking to Soumya, who sounds like this. Oh, my God. Um, but apart from that, um, talk to me about some beliefs that have, that have shifted for you um, over these last, you know, seven years. And what I mean by that is, you know, stuff used to have very, or would believe very strongly, or would hold, you know, almost like unwaveringly uh, back in maybe in university or in college. And now you're like, you know, I, I, I don't think the same. And, and maybe I can give you an example yeah. uh, and what that's been for me. Um, I think one big one for me recently, uh, and very recently, and this is probably during pandemic and post pandemic, is, is how important, you know, work uh, is as a part of my life. I think for the last 10 years, my identity, and I was talking about this in another podcast, is how, you know, closely my work identity was, you know, intertwined to, you know, the identity of Ruben. Um, and, you know, right through university and my jobs and everything, it's like, you know, it's the same thing. And I would like over-index. And I, I, I love the work I did, but I think that's been a big shift in belief that, you know, my, my, my identity should, should not be um, linked with, my, you know the place I work at, uh, and it has to be much more than it. But, but yeah, I'd be curious to know what a, a similar kind of shift in belief has been for you. Yeah, no, definitely. I think something similar has also happened to me in the sense that. Okay, so I think, so one thing I think that has happened to me is that my attitude towards 
people and relationships with people has changed. Um, I think I care more about people around me. I'm less self-centered than I used to be. Like, I was, I don't think I was ever very selfish, but I was, I always thought that, you know, here are the things that I want to do. Here is my bucket list of like things that I want to do and people will only get in my way. Um, is what my outlook was towards life. I know <laughs> uh, if any of my friends are listening to this, I still like them. I still like all of that. But, <laughs> but that was what my <laughs> outlook towards life used to be. And I think slow, uh, that over time that has changed. It's been like, so there's this TV show uh, called Fleabag. I don't know if you watch Fleabag. There's this one line where no. um, one of the characters um, talks about how she doesn't like people. And then the other person says, that people are all we've got, and um, which I think is very nice, and I think slowly like yeah. that has like set in. So, uh, yeah, so that has changed over time. I think I've also become less um, self-assured. Like I think um, I don't claim to know what's right anymore. Like earlier, I used mm. to be like, oh yeah, I know that these are my beliefs, and I know that I know best. <laughs> um, <laughs> like better than people around me but well not necessarily but like um somewhat um and and i think that has gone away like i'm just like i didn't know anything when i was in college like i was it, i was stupid yeah so <laughs> what was that a specific incident or a series of incidents which you know started this change which you can recollect or remember um not exactly. I think one of the things that helped me, like, um, well, at least, like, made me less self-assured in the same way was just, like, um, I think I, like, started noticing my responses to situations. And you know how, like, when you, maybe when you're younger and you haven't had that many experiences, and you think that given a certain experience that you will respond in that way. But you don't really have a way of knowing mm. that that's how you would respond. And as time progresses, as you like notice the changes in your responses, you, you like start actually figuring out better who you are as a person. Do you have an example which comes to mind? So I think one of the big things was like, um, like the whole mental health thing that happened during my uh, during the during my PhD, and my attitude towards mental health had always been like, oh, I sympathize and uh, with with people who have mental health problems, but that is, but in deep down, I was like, that's never going to be me, like, I'm never <laughs> like, I'm always going to be able to overcome this by just like sheer willpower. And then I couldn't, <laughs> and mm. <laughs> it was just like, okay, maybe that's not enough. Um, yeah, so that was like one of the things. So that's an example. Yeah. That's a really good one. That's a really, really good one. And and as you say, as you say all of this, um, yeah, like it's so clear. Like like as you say that you know the Somia of of twenty thirteen. You're right. You know all what you mentioned is is a such a great way of of describing you as an individual at that point of time. Um, because and again, I don't mean to say that you were you were selfish in any way, but you knew what you wanted. Um, you had your beliefs in place. 
um, and I think that was great, like because you were like, from what I remember, you know, you you were not you were very clear in what you wanted, and then in my opinion, at that point of time, it was wow, like you know, she's she's got herself sorted, and I think most people would have thought that, but um, but no, it, it's so fascinating the, the stuff you're saying right now. Um, now you've seen all of this. What advice would you have for for Somya, who was in college? I wouldn't actually. Um, so one thing that I think that comes with like the arrogance of being young is that you like dare to try more things because you're arrogant, right? And and I'm just like, yeah, that I I think it's okay. Um, if there was any advice, I would just be like. Actually, I wouldn't give advice. I would just be like, oh, you don't know what's coming. You don't know anything about mm. what's coming, is all I would say. Maybe a, a, second, a second thing I'd be curious to know is, are there things you've learned about yourself? Because with a lot of us who've you know, left home, gone to a completely new place, we usually learn new things about ourselves. Yeah, I'd be curious to know if, if there's something interesting you, you've learned about yourself over these last five, six years. Uh, well, I've learned that I'm lazy. <laughs> um, that's like <laughs> because in college I was really not like I would I like slept three hours a night on some nights but like I used to work like wow. crazy when I was in college um, I don't know if you remember but like I was in a million societies and I packed my day um, completely I mean I'm still busy now but I yeah. think I'm lazier than I thought I would be <laughs> um, I don't know it's <laughs> You're asking such hard questions. I don't know what to, how to answer these. Like, okay. this is harder than my research. <laughs> don't, don't say that. People won't come to my show. <laughs> but, uh, but, but let, me, let me make it easier. Why don't, why don't you ask me um, yeah. a question? Um, oh, yeah. yeah. One of the things I want to know is how you have the, the courage to do, like, startup things. Because I feel like I always find that entrepreneurs and people who, like, start startups are like very very brave and I am like yeah. in on a path and I like if I had to leave I wouldn't know what to do or where to begin yeah. so so I think the uh, my first experience with like startup and and going off the beaten path was when we started Nevasa uh, and truth be told we had no clue what we were getting into um, it was you know it maybe you know I, I'll give the media um, some points because they made it sound so glamorous uh, but now I, I hate the media for doing it because it just you know maybe it's a good thing because it allows more people to give it a shot but it such it sets such raw expectations with first-time founders that you know this is glamour right you you, you start a company you're going to raise money and la 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 um, so yeah I, I don't know but, but I don't know what my what my take on, on all this you know startup news in the media is but um, that was that was the the push. You know, we thought it was cool. Um, we thought it would be. You know, everybody's doing this. Everybody seems to be. You know, raising money and and doing all of that. And uh, we got into it. But I think that that experience was very very hard. But along the way, what happened? Um, and maybe you know, even after the Zilingo experience, a couple of things. You know, are, are probably why I'll I'll continue on this path. I think the first one is it really pushed you to ask some really, really hard questions, which I think deep down, everybody has them, but we are, I think we're surrounded by so much of noise 
that you don't you don't ask yourself those questions. Um, and when we were like at Nivasa, right, you could wake up and we did this for like two years, so that's almost 600 days, wherein we would wake up every day and you know we could do whatever we wanted. Mm-hmm. And for some days it's great, but some days you're like, you know, I want to sleep extra, and you do that, and the next day you'll wake up and you feel shit about it, and then like, why am I feeling shit about it? But as this continues, you just ask so many why's, you know, why am I feeling this? You know, I have all the quote unquote freedom in the world. Um, sometimes you'll complain you don't have money, but soon you'll have all of these things and you're like, like, why? Like, why am I feeling this way? Why am I doing this? Why do I want that? Why do I not want that? And I think like, and, and Lewis said it pretty awesomely that you, all of us at some point have to deal with this uncertainty. I think it's just a, a, a feature of life. Um, it's uncertain. Things are just uncertain. And the the sooner you realize to deal with this, um, I think it just gives you that courage to be like, you know, whatever I do, right? I can be on the fixed path. I can be on a, you know, not very fixed path. I will have to deal with the uncertainty. And I feel this, the, the, the startup journey just pushes you to deal with that uncertainty sooner than later. And I think it's just like a muscle. You start flexing that muscle. And at least for me, I, I would think about it. I've been flexing that muscle for four years now. So today I'm in a much better spot to be in an uncertain situation um, as compared to when I was maybe just starting out Nivasa, right? As compared to someone who's never faced that uncertain situation. Like a lot of our friends now, you know, when they are exiting business school um, or, you know, maybe they've done, their, they've done that set path, right? Like there's nothing wrong in the path they chose, but today is when they are, are dealing with the first time, you know, if the first time you go to the gym and your first time you're doing those weights, it is going to pain the next day. But you keep doing it um, and it just gets easier. So, so yeah, I think I think that's how I would say on how how I do this because. But by the way, it's not it's not easy at all. Like, like you know, it's just like the gym, right? You can do weights all your life, but it doesn't mean the next time you go to the gym, it's going to be like oh, it's going to be a walk in the park. Absolutely not. Uh, every time you go to the gym, it's hard, uh, and you push yourself. And there are there. I I won't say there's ever been a week where I'm like you know, am I am I doing the right thing? But over time, that question is. Um, is less, you know, anxiety creating, because now when I look back at the four, at, at four years, right, and when you have enough of a, of a sample set, you're like, you know what, things have turned out pretty okay, right? So historic data says that it's not all that bad, um, and that just makes you like, oh no, you know what? Yeah, you're anxious. You've been anxious before. Things have worked out. Just just keep at it. But there's always a fear. There's always a fear that this is going to be the one which is the worst decision you took, and it's going to be boom, um, and you hope that it's not. Wow, that's that's interesting. Yeah, because I think it's like, so so you're saying that you just like face your fears and hope for the best. Is what I'm. Yeah, you face and your like, fears, hope uh, for the best. But you learn to get better at it over time. And yeah, you just you just learn to get better at doing that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I think I'm not going to ask you any more questions, else uh, nobody else is going to show up on my show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because but, you ask know, uh, such hard questions, Ruben. It's not like, yeah. But I really like the answers. I think um, they're very, very, it got me thinking quite a bit. So I think people will enjoy that. Well, I'm, I'm glad that that happened to me when I like heard, listened to your podcast. I was like, oh my God, like, like I think so the first one was Origins, right? And I was listening to his, yeah. his responses and I was like, oh my God, I'm, I feel the same way about this. And oh my God, like <laughs> my friends who I've like not spoken to in seven years also feel the same way. This is so cool. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's fascinating how how 
you know, and I, I think I used this term earlier that how all of us are, are still so similar, but yet, you know, we are very, very different right now. Um, it's crazy. Um, yeah. But anyway, that's, I think, a good place to, to, to wrap up. I know we are almost touching the hour and I'm very proud of myself to keep it within one hour of recording. But um, <laughs> thanks a ton for doing this, Soumya. I, I hope you, I, I, I love this conversation. It was so good, so good, you know, catching up with you after like fucking seven years, man. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you for setting it up. I've like lost touch with so many people. Um, yeah, so that was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, I think I, I shamelessly plug this into every episode now, but if you've enjoyed this conversation, uh, pick up your phone and you know, you could drop Samia a message because she would love to speak to you. Oh, really? <laughs> this is like, this sounds like an ad. <laughs> like it, it doesn't. No. Okay. I, 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 <laughs> yeah, you, you know why? And that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. If you've been enjoying these conversations, do subscribe and leave a review. It just helps me reach more people. If you have a suggestion, topics, or even people that I should speak to, do write to me. You can find me on Twitter at Norona Rubin. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can now buy me a coffee. You can find the link in the description. Lastly, to end, do go and check out this tool I'm building called Rolodex AI. It helps you keep in touch with people you don't meet that often. So head over to rolodexai.com and sign up. I upload new episodes every Friday and I'll see you in the next one.